We're going to read from Ephesians chapter 4. But before I do, man, that song just hit me. And I just want to say one thing. Laid before us on this table is our communion we're going to be partaking in. A remembrance meal of what Christ did for us. And I would feel remiss if I didn't just say one thing about that gospel we love so much. That today, we get to remember that Christ is victorious. That unlike any other religion in the world, Christ is alive today. We have confidence in what He has done because of what He has done. And so I want to charge you challenge you and implore you like I have been doing with our students the last couple weeks on Tuesday nights let this be a time of confession confess your heart's desires to Christ confess your faith and belief in Jesus confess your sins for he is faithful And just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, says His Word. Let us stand today, boldly declaring, I am the chief of sinners and I need Jesus. Amen? This church is a beautiful church because we are a church that is for a particular type of person. We are for sinners but a particular type of sinners, repentant ones. Let us stand firmly on the fact that Christ lived that sinless life we could not live, died that sacrificial death we could not pay that debt for. But on the third day, He rose again. And because of that, we celebrate and we remember. And if you are here today and you do not have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, Let me beg you, plead with you. There is no more vital a decision in your life than that one. Where you spend eternity hangs in the balance. Apart from Christ, you are a child of wrath. Accept Him and be a child of grace. Be a child of God. All it takes is what Romans 10 tells us. To believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with our mouth that God raised Him from the dead and we will be saved. Let us move into Ephesians chapter 4 about unity in the body of Christ. Starting in verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace, there is one body and one Spirit just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. 
Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions of earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head of... into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let us pray. Father God, as we come before you and we continue our time of worship through the proclamation of your word, let your word speak to us in such a deep and intimate level. Let us be more in the image of Christ and strive towards unity in the body. Let us look to our left and to our right, to our brothers and sisters in Christ, and let us exhort them and extol them towards Christ. Let us spurn each other on to be more passionate, more fervent, more on fire, more in love with you every day. Let this be the heart cry of our church, knowing that we are the chief of sinners, but you are the one who works out faithfully within us. It's in Jesus' beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Good morning, church. I am glad we are gathered here today. This is my favorite day of the week. To be able to come and join with you guys and be able to connect with each and every one of you in a way that wouldn't be normal otherwise. Because so many of us are so different than each other, but we are one body. And we get to praise our one Lord together. I'm going to have all of our kids go ahead and head on out over here to the door. You'll see Miss Tish. She's back there waiting for you as you guys head on out. 
parents and anybody else who's staying behind, I would love for you to open up to the book of Ephesians if you haven't already. We're going to be hanging out in Ephesians this week. And really, we don't kick off our Ephesians series until next week. And we're going to be in that for six months. I know some of you are like, what? For real? We're going to go deep into Ephesians. But today, what I want to do is I want to use the book of Ephesians as a bridge with our why church, why we do what we do. See, from the the last couple of weeks, we are now in our ninth discussion on why. Why we do what we do as a church. And I believe why church that we're talking about today is that bridge between all the other whys and the book of Ephesians. And so what I would love for you to do is go to the book of Ephesians, and as we're looking at that, we're going to kind of do a quick review on why we do what we do. And first and foremost, the reason why we do what we do is, hopefully you're able to answer it without the help of the slide that's going to come up behind me, and that is to give glory to God. That is why we do what we do. First and foremost, we take communion Again, we started with it on January 1st. We're wrapping up with it today. We take communion for the glory of God. The main reason why we worship is for the glory of God. The reason why we evangelize and share the gospel is for the glory of God. The reason why we disciple and grow people up in Christ is for the glory of God. Why we connect. Why we give of our time and our talents and our treasure and even our very selves. It's why we pray. It's why we baptize. I'm still on a high from getting to do that a couple of weeks ago. Just a life change that we got to see. The glory of God is the result, or the result in our lives is revival. Seeing what God does and seeing the change that takes place. Yesterday, uh, I got to take my bigs to go see Jesus Revolution. If you were on the fence on whether you should see it or not, get off the fence and go see it. I'll tell you what, I, I don't cry during movies, but that one actually like stirred up emotions inside of me to see people just giving their lives in the revival to Christ. And, and those are the things that I'm like, I'm, I'm trying not to, but I can't. I can't not. And Christy's looking at me, and I'm like, sorry, I didn't get enough sleep last night. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what it was. There was just something inside that, that made me just get emotional about seeing God move, especially in people that nobody expects God to move in. And that's sinners like you and me. And I truly believe we're a result of that movement of God from 40 plus years ago. God is doing some amazing things and that revival takes place and we do it all in our response to that for His glory. No matter where you serve, no matter what you do, I hope that our church, its firm foundation on why we exist is for the glory of God. Not for our kingdom, not for, not for our glory, but for His glory. And that leads us to our final why. Why the church? Why the church? And even more so, why should you be a part of what is happening at our church? And I'm going to use an old phrase, why church membership? Why bother coming to this class today if you haven't already become a member of Paragon Church? You heard Pastor Bruce read, um, really from up front, the the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. And I want to go back to that passage. And we're going to talk about this passage more uh, come summer. But 
What I want to do today is I want to look just briefly at that word, therefore. The word therefore that starts off everything is there for a reason. And we have to figure out what that reason is. Well, it is there for a transition. Because you'll find out more about this as we go through the book of Ephesians. But the book of Ephesians is really broken up into two sections. Chapters 1 through 3 and chapters 4 through 6. Chapters 1 through 3 are all about the doctrine. Of, of Jesus Christ and, and where we stand in Him. The fact, as you'll see on your, on your uh, chairs there, there's a postcard that says, Made Worthy. Maybe if you're on our mailing list, it came yesterday, or if you check your mailbox more than once a week, it came yesterday, and you'll see it says, Made Worthy. We live in a culture that is desperate to find out what their identity is. Our identity is in Jesus. That is where our identity falls. No matter what you might think otherwise, if you are in Christ, our identity is found there. Well, chapters 4 through 6 is a response to that. It's a response to being found in Christ. To being made worthy, that should affect and change our lives in such a way that Paul writes in 4.1 these words, Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy you were made worthy so you will now in turn walk worthy of the calling that you have received you've been made worthy and your response should be to walk worthy and i don't want to miss this fact and please don't that the entire theme of the book of ephesians is about how we walk in grace how we've been made worthy in grace as a matter of fact there's going to be three two-word phrases you're going to hear for the next six months and it's going to be made worthy by grace so walk worthy. Made worthy by grace, so walk worthy. And as we're going to dive further into that over those next big things, we're going to really break it all down. What I want to do today is I want to look at how chapter 4 and chapter 5 help explain our why church. Why should we be a part of the church? Why should we be a member of the church? You saw it on that video. You heard it from Pastor Bruce, but I'm going to cover it again in this whole idea of being one, about being unified. So I'm going to pick up back in verse 1 again of chapter 4 and read through verse 6, and it says this, Walk worthy of the calling that you've received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23 talk about the church being that body. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. We are a part of that one, that one body, the church. Paul tells us about it in other letters, but he also talks about it in Ephesians. As a part of that church, as a part of that body, we have been given gifts. And in given gifts, we have a place in that body. We have a role to fulfill. And when we are missing, just like in a physical body, you're going to notice it. If there's a part of your body that is missing or broken or or just not functioning properly, the rest of your body is going to notice I'm more of a sports guy. I like the idea of a team. If there's a person on your team that is standing on the sidelines that is supposed to be in, or if they're not doing their job, you're going 
to notice. And, and that's what we see here with the whole idea of church and the body that is the church. We are a part of that one body. And then you can even look at what it says in verses 11 through 13 that Pastor Bruce read. It said, And he himself gave some to be apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors, and some even to be teachers. To do what? To equip the saints. Who are the saints? They are the body. They are you. And they are me. And we are to do the work of the ministry. To build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son. Growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Equipping the saints for the work of ministry. It's not a one man or one woman job. It is all of us all together building up the body of Christ and growing in the knowledge of Christ together. Then look at verse 16. It says, From Him the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. See, we all have a place. We each have a part. In short, we've been called from darkness into light. We, we've been called from being orphans, orphans to being heirs of the kingdom. And our response should be walking worthy of that calling. Together as one, you and I are members of a body that have been given gifts that are going to build up the rest of the body. All for what purpose? Well, guess what? It's the same as all the other wise. All for the glory of God. All for the glory of God. This is why church matters. This is why church matters. Both the corporate gathering that we are in right here, but also as we go. As we go and, and we go outside of this hour and we connect with people. Connect with the church. Connect with the community because we can't do life alone. It's also why we evangelize. And we share our story to introduce people to Christ. And invite people to come and see. Because found people find people. You might be, be able to follow along over here just in case you're wondering. As we grow, Jesus meets us where we are. And He is going to continue to help us move on because where we are is not where He wants us to stay. He wants us to grow in Him because we are being changed by God through His church. That's the building up part. To love Him more and to love sin less. Or maybe I should even change that to not love sin less, hate sin more. We're being changed because discipleship is what the church is all about. Because growing people change. As a matter of fact, that whole passage of Ephesians chapter 4 is all about growing and changing and becoming more like Christ. We've been given gifts. And those gifts are to use for the glory of God and the betterment of His church. Because if you can probably guess, I'm only down to two left. Save people, serve people. Save people, serve people. If you've ever wondered why church matters, this is it. But you might be looking, there's one more you forgot. Well, no, I didn't. I'm going to take a next step because in the church, in the church, we give our entire selves because we can't outgive God. We can't do it. He's given us everything, every breath. He's given us Christ as we see here at the table. He's given us everything we could possibly need. That's why church matters. 
and I hope you see it already, being a part of the team or being a member of the body or being a part of the church is more than just occasional attendance. It is more than just putting money in the box. It's more than just putting a sticker on your car. That doesn't make you a part of the church. I think the best way to explain it is like this. I heard an analogy a while back and it's always stuck with me and it begins with this question. Are you dating the church or are you married to the church? Are you dating the church or are you just married to it? Which are you? And you might ask, what does that mean? So give me a moment to explain it. First of all, if you know anything about current cultural beliefs, they don't think there's a difference between dating and marriage. I'll tell you right now, there very much is one. Because in dating, dating is a kind of trial period where, where you have a soft commitment. Your relationship is still tentative and your options are still open. I laugh and I shall share this. My neighbor across the street, building a relationship with him, talk to him often. Um, he and his now fiance have lived together for a long time. They have kids who are 10, 11, 12 years old. He just proposed to her. I'm like, that's awesome. When are you guys getting married? Oh, don't know. I just wanted to make sure that I could propose to her and she wanted to have a ring to make sure. And I'm like, what? I couldn't say that to him, but that was exactly what was going through my head because it didn't make any sense. They, they're, they're, they're engaged, but they don't even know when they're going to get married because a marriage relationship is so much more than just a ring. We talked about it. It's a covenant relationship of devotion and sacrifice and joy in marriage. Guess what? You burn the ships. There's no turning back. Your life and your heart belong to the one that you've given yourself to. That's it. I know. Some of you are looking over and you're like, it's okay. It's the way it is. We learn to grow together. So that's why I ask, are you married to the church or are you just dating the church? Or maybe I should ask more pointedly because I was told this week that I don't beat around the bush very well. And somebody's in agreement up here. Are, are you fully devoted? Making sacrificial investments of time, money, energy or are you just nominally involved? Are you just occasionally invested but you're maintaining your distance just in case something doesn't go the way you want and you can walk away without any real lingering obligations where are you you might ask well does the church really matter does it and i will say 100 percent yes this summer i will have become a christian 35 years I have been a Christian for 35 years. For those 35 years, over 30 of them, I've been involved in some form of ministry. In some form of ministry, uh, whether it had been helping out volunteering or if it was serving full-time and everything in between, I've been involved. Started in 1988 at Galilee Baptist Church in Glendale, Arizona. It doesn't even exist anymore. Now it's a Roman Orthodox church. But there is where my grandparents drug me to church. They made me go to church. They made me put on corduroy pants because jeans were not okay. Some of you are like, uh-huh, I remember. I remember, uh-huh, zipping while you're walking. I got you. Here's, here's where it was at. They drug me to church, and at that church, they drug me to a summer camp where I met Jesus. Jesus. 
And I was baptized at that church. And we probably would have stayed at that church for quite a while had there not been some church conflict and some issues with the budget and whether we should keep the music guy or the youth guy on staff. Bruce isn't here. Kyle, back there. You guys can fight it out another time if we have to. But the truth is, is that the decision came down. They kept the music guy. And pretty much everybody in the youth department left. And we went to a different church. My family went to a different church called Palmcroft Baptist Church in Phoenix, Arizona. And at Palmcroft, I got involved in the high school group. And involved in the high school group, I got to go on mission trips together with everybody. I got to serve in VBS. I got to do lots of different things and grow as a Christian. I went to college at Palmcroft. At college, I had to do a Christian service project because that's what our, 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 our college requires. So I worked with Awana at Palmcroft. And then I went to the junior high group at Palmcroft. And then became an intern at Palmcroft, which led me to become a pastor at Palmcroft. I had no desire to become a pastor, but that God works differently than the way that I do. And he had plans that were different than what I wanted. My, my degree is in elementary education. I'm not sure if you guys are aware of that. Um, I was going to be a teacher. And I was going to do my thing from a 9 to 5. And I know teachers don't do 9 to 5. I, trust me. I, I know that now. I thought that's what I was going to do. And, uh, but God had other plans. And I spent my first four years in ministry. I got married at Palmcroft. And Christy and I spent our years in ministry together at Palmcroft until a philosophy of ministry difference took place. Where I thought one thing, the leadership over me thought something different. I was 26 and I knew everything. So um, I left. And God called me to New Mexico. I never thought I would be in New Mexico. I used to drive through New Mexico on my way to Texas and go, who would ever live here? And God said, you will. For 21 years now. And so that's why I am where I am. But I went to First Baptist of Rio Rancho, where I got to serve there many, even in this room or in my youth ministry at that time. And I got to serve there, and Pastor Side there allowed me to, to grow and go not just junior high and high school, but then into the college ministry area and then be over Sunday school and be over and kind of advising the, the, uh, the children's ministry. There's already great workers there. My job was easy for supervising them. And um, that was just all that God was doing. And Pastor Sai said, hey, I think you're ready to become a senior pastor. And that's where God led me to plant Paragon 13 years ago. As crazy as that is to think about. We've been doing this for 13 years. And, and I look at it and I say, man, over all that time, I've been really involved in four churches. And there's been good things that have happened and there have been bad things. There's been joy and there's been pain and there's been sunshine and there's been rain yes i just quoted rob base but the the thing is is i look at that how many times did i have the opportunity to walk away from church when, when a church split happens as a kid and you don't know what's going on or why it is and that's the only thing you've ever known really when it came to christianity what, what should i have done what should my family have done we should, should have said oh, the church hurt us we are out to being a, a student at, at Palmcroft and my youth pastor who I looked up to and admired was put before church discipline for dating and eventually marrying one of my classmates. I could have walked away from the church and said, oh, it's just a bunch of hypocrites. And we'll talk about that here in a second. But God had other plans. I saw the negatives and I also saw the positives. Getting to see people's lives 
change. And getting to see people that I invested in go into ministry all around the world. It's, it's so exciting to be a part of that. And I am thankful for the way that God has used the church to shape me. I am thankful for the way that God has given me strong and growing relationships with the people of God. I am thankful that even back in the early days when people were investing, that, that youth pastor that, that didn't get kept in that first church, I'm still in contact with him. The, the guy who led me to the Lord and then discipled me at the beginning, I still have a regular contact with him. These are 35 years ago. But God has kept those relationships afresh. I'm thankful for the encouragement I get from people in God's church. I'm thankful for the people who pray with me and for me. I'm thankful for people who come alongside me and share and bear my burdens. I'm thankful for people who call me out if I start to drift and bring me back where I'm going to be and where I need to be. And I'm glad I can be that in people's lives too. And I'm not going to lie to you when I hear somebody say, well, I'm a Christian, but I really don't like the church. That, that eats at me because I love the church. I love the church. And when people say, well, church is irrelevant, I want to say this. Actually, normally I do because I don't hold back. The church is arguably, if not the greatest force for good in the world, it is one of the greatest forces of good in the world. It is God's plan A, and there is no plan B. And the, they are, the church is there to bring people who are far from God to Him. We have been given a ministry of reconciliation. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 12 says, This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ, and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery of of the hidden for the ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may be known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in heaven. This according to His eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Him we have boldness and confidence and confident access through faith in Him. Guys, the mission hasn't changed in 2,000 years. It is still the same. Just because society has changed does not mean the mission has changed. As a matter of fact, because society continues to change makes the mission even that much greater. We need to have that ministry of reconciliation. It goes through the church. When somebody says, oh, but church is so boring. I said that many a times in my life when I was drugged to church. I jokingly tell people I had a drug problem. I was drugged to church by my grandparents every Sunday every Tuesday, every Wednesday, every Thursday. And I did everything I could to try and get involved in a sport that would have practice on any of those nights. So I didn't have to, I would rather run laps than go to church. Okay, that's where I found myself. But the truth of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, I, I realized something eventually. The church isn't about me. It is about entertaining me and making me feel good about myself. It's not about my approval or disapproval of worship. It is about God. It is about us lifting Him up. I've read multiple articles about how worship has drifted and, and what is Sunday morning for. And sometimes we get this idea that Sunday morning is supposed to be just some concert and a feel-good type of thing. We have concerts for that. We are here to worship Jesus. Now, if it comes in the form of great music, awesome. But I will tell you, Jesus is first. 
I love it when somebody says, well, it's full of hypocrites. And my response is, it's not full. There's room for one more. So come on. We're all hypocritical in some way, shape, or form. We all will play a part in some way, shape, or form. We are here being changed by God because of that. The other one that always bothers me is the church is only after my money. But I have never in my life heard anybody say that about the NFL, Major League Baseball, the NHL, or the NBA. Never said, oh, Jerry Jones is out after my money. Never heard that. No, it's take my money and let me go to that game or cheer on a cruddy team that's just going to break my heart in the playoffs anyway. You know, that is the way I respond, right? I mean, when you really stop and think about it, why do we say that about the church? Why? Well, I think it kind of goes back to the fact that we forget that it's our team. That this is our team and that body and the missing player, if it's not there, then we're missing out on something. Does church matter? Again, I'm going to say 100% yes, but don't take my word for it. Let's look at what the Bible says and what Jesus thinks about his church. If you're still in Ephesians, go over to chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children. First it's walk worthy, now it's be imitators of God. And as we imitate Him, walk in love, as Christ also loved us and gave Himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. We are supposed to imitate that. Giving ourselves to the church. Giving ourselves in a way that we are walking worthy because we've been made worthy. If you skip a little bit further down to verse 22 of chapter 5. There's a passage here that that gets really put on husbands and wives. And we will talk more about that probably late August, somewhere in that general area, maybe late July. And we'll talk about the husbands and wives part of it all. But we have to remember in it, the foundational thing that Paul is talking about is our marriages are based on what Christ did for the church. And so as we look at that, Here's the example that he sets for us to be. Listen to what it says about Jesus in Ephesians chapter 22, verse, oh, sorry, Ephesians 5, 22, verses 22 and 30. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is a savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to the husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of the water by the Word. He did this to present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of His body. Now, like I said, we're going to get into further detail of this towards the summer. There's two word pictures I want you to see, two word pictures I think you understand. The first one is this, is that the church is the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. The whole context of this passage is about the marriage and how it models after Christ's passion for His bride the church. That is the foundation of the passage. And the, Paul, the point that Paul is making is very powerful. It is very clear as well. Jesus wholeheartedly and unconditionally loves the church. He loves His 
church, His bride. Let me describe it to you this way. I have the opportunity to do lots of weddings. As a matter of fact, I look around here and I've, I see people that I've had the opportunity to do your wedding days. But as uh, I get to do weddings, one of my favorite moments of every wedding I have ever done is when the music changes, everybody rises, they turn to the back of whatever place we are at, and the bride becomes to come, or starts to come down the aisle. And the reason why that moment is so special to me is because I get to see something rarely anybody else gets to see. I get to see the groom's face. Because I'm standing next to him. I'm standing next to him, and I watch tears well up in his eyes. And a smile of pure joy as the bride begins to come down and his reaction creates a reaction within her where her eyes begin to well up and joy comes over her because there is something that is about to happen that is an amazing covenantal relationship union that's about to take place. And as it all starts to come down, maybe you have experienced that yourself, maybe you've seen that yourself, but that is just a small picture of the way that Jesus loves His church. The intensity of which Jesus loves His church and has joy for His bride. You know what's mind-blowing here? I'm a part of that church. And if you've been adopted into His family, you are a part of His church. The universal church in the Bible is those who've been called out by the Spirit of Christ into salvation. The church is God's people. And Christ's love for His people is described with one word, agape. There's multiple love words in Greek. You probably know that already. But the one used here by Paul is agape. And it's defined like this. The essence of agape love is goodwill, benevolence, and a willful delight in the object of love. Agape love involves faithfulness, commitment, and an act of the will. It's distinguished from other types of love by its lofty moral nature and strong character. Agape in this packet, passage tells me this, that God's love never fails. That, that His love never quits. It never weakens and it never wavers. It's a love that sent Christ to the cross. Not just send him to the cross, but send him to the cross willingly to lay down his life for mine. Today, church, as we take communion together, we get to remember that agape love and see that agape love on full display. When I look back at verses 25 and 26 of Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as the Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. It tells me that Christ gave himself for me to make me holy. He took the cross, bearing its shame, so that I could be free from the slavery of my sin. The bread, it represents a body broken. The juice, it represents the blood poured out. How far was he willing to go for his church? How far was he willing to go for his bride? He was completely committed, not just dating the church. We have already seen in 4.1 that it says for us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling out. 5.1 tells me to imitate Christ. So with that in mind, how should I respond to the church? 
how should I respond? Even with his flaws, even with his imperfections, even if it's boring, even if it's hypocritical, even if, how should I respond to the church? The church is the bride of Christ, but it's also the body of Christ. Verses 28 and 29 says, In the same way husbands are to love their wives as they love their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides for it and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. Why is that imagery important? The image of the bride tells us there's a deep devotion and love that Christ has for us, his church, but the image of the body reminds us that we have an assignment to fulfill. We have a job to do. When Jesus walked the earth, he went from place to place in a geographical area, a small geographical area. He walked. And while he was here, he was about the Father's glory and spreading the Father's glory and growing the kingdom of heaven. Jesus came to earth to put on flesh. He lived a perfect life. And while here, he poured into his disciples. He went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. He died, and three days later, he rose again. That's a simple gospel presentation. But in that, before he ascended into heaven, he gave us commands. Matthew 28, 19, go and make disciples. Mark 16, 15, go and preach the gospel. Acts 1, 8, go and be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the othermost parts of the earth. For us, it is in your community, in your state, in your nation, in your world, and even to the people you don't like. That's what he's saying there. Be my body. And work together for the glory of God. Each of you is a member of the body. Go and do what I've called you to do. Be the feet. Be the hands of Jesus. There's so many different places that Paul talks about this be the body. And the different parts and the necessity of these different parts working together. 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians that we just read. So many different places. When one part of the body isn't functioning properly or functioning at all, it does throw off the rest. Anybody in here hurt their back recently? Does the rest of your body do this? It does. Because it's thrown off completely when something isn't functioning properly. For the universal church and to draw it closer to the local church to be functioning properly, we need to be working together. Each member, they need to be connected They need to be participating. They need to share in the joy and the burdens of life together. We need to be committed to one another, not just on the sidelines, but in the game. This table in front of us, it reminds us Christ loved the church. It's His bride. He gave Himself for it. He is married to it. It is His body. He cares for it. He gave all for it. He died for it. If Christ would do that for the church, even with his flaws, how again should we respond? We're going to start this morning by responding with the words that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. A church that was all sorts of jacked up. But Paul wrote to encourage them with these words in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread And when he'd given thanks, he broke and said, This is my body, which which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and saying, This covenant is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
Today we're going to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for who you are. And thank you for the way you continue to work in each and every one of us and change in each and every one of us and challenge each and every one of us to be more like you, to walk worthy of the calling we receive, to imitate Christ in love, in the way that we work together. God, we can't do it on our own. We can only do it in your grace, the power that is found in your grace. May you have the glory. May you have the honor. May you guide us and direct us as we continue to work together to see your kingdom grow. We pray it in your name. Amen.